Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, We have been reading the Gospels together this fall, and uh, we started um, by looking at some of the healings of Jesus. Healing is is one of the primary ways that Jesus served people, and that is often how he described himself as uh, a servant, as the one who came to serve, uh, as the one who came for those who are not well, as the good shepherd. So we're going to look at one last healing this morning. It's a healing that Jesus did for a man who was not looking uh, for healing from Jesus at all. In fact, he didn't even know who Jesus was. So I'm going to read from John 5 for us, verses 1 through 17, and you can follow along if you'd like in the order of worship where it's printed. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, as we think about and talk about this word that we've just read and heard together, as we do that for the next few minutes, that uh, that we would experience this thing that we just sang together, which is that we are turning unfilled to you again. Father, would you help us, every one of us, whether we um, thought about those words when we sang them or even feel them to be true, um, that we would experience you meeting us and giving us what we need. Uh, We turn unfilled to you again and wait on your grace. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, back back in the early 90s, uh, there was this really big uh, four or five flat building that was at Wabash and uh, Chestnut in the Gold Coast. 
Uh, it's gone now. I think they, they demolished it to build the Sofitel Hotel. Um, but uh, I, I, I remember when that building was there, you could rent mopeds there on the first floor, and I think maybe the second floor. Uh, there was a club called the Tom Tom Club, and in the basement there was a coffee shop called the Tiro Cafe. And on weekday afternoons, uh, you could get a bottomless cup of coffee there for 25 cents. And for that reason, I loved to study there. And so one afternoon I was studying there, uh, and a woman walked up and she sat across from me at the table that I was uh, sitting at, and she struck up a conversation. She asked me what I was reading. I told her I was reading theology. Um, that was, I guess, seemed pretty interesting to her, maybe a little bit unexpected in the middle of the afternoon at the Tiro Cafe. And so we kept talking for a while, and after about 10 minutes or so, uh, a guy sat up, walked up and sat next to her. They were obviously together. They had come together to that place. And she told this guy what I was reading. She told him that I was a student. And then she asked me, do you know who he is? And before I could answer, um, the guy who had just sat down next to her said to her very confidently, he knows who I am. Which was awkward. Uh, because I did not know uh, who he was. And I sheepishly told him that I didn't know who he was, so he told me his name, which made it even more awkward, um, because that did not help me at all. And this time I said, look, I'm sorry, I don't know you. And he looked at me and he said, I'm the guitarist for Enough is Enough. To which I responded, oh yeah, fly high Michelle. Now I know that there are maybe four of you generously who know what I'm talking about, and that is part of the point. Enough's Enough was a band from Blue Island, and they had a really, really popular single in 1989 called Fly High Michelle. I'm sure all of you now recall it. And they're still around making music, uh, and at the time, though, that song, that song was the only thing I knew about them. I didn't know what they looked like. I for sure did not know any of their names. And I would never have guessed walking into the Tiro that day that I would end up talking a little bit of theology with their guitarist, which is uh, maybe pretty similar to how that guy felt at the pool that day. For 38 long years, he had been waiting there. 38 years waiting for a healing that never came. And then the one who is healing walked up to him. The one who came for those who are not well walked up to him. And he had no idea, absolutely no idea who he's looking at. I mean, he thinks maybe Jesus is offering to help get him in the water or something. And I think that people like you and me might have something very important to learn from that because that man at the pool is certainly not the only person who has ever looked right through Jesus over to some other thing that we think is going to be the thing that we really need. But Jesus has a holy discontent for that kind of thing. He graciously pursues so that we can come to know who he really is. John says there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. We don't know which of the festivals it was. What we do know is that Jesus 
has made the pilgrimage from his home in Galilee to keep the feast with his people in the holy city. Surprisingly, John does not start his story at the temple, though. That's where all of the festal action would be. He starts it in a very different place, at a pool called Bethesda. It was by the Sheep Gate, which was probably an opening in the north wall of the city. This pool was surrounded by five roofed colonnades, uh, porches, covered porches that offered shelter to those who wanted to use that pool. The site uh, has been excavated, by the way, and uh, it is a lot larger than I had always imagined it to be as I would hear this story read in church growing up. There are actually two pools there, each almost as long as a football field. They're about 20 feet deep. There's four porches along the long ends of the pool and another porch on a rocky ledge that was between them. That gives you a sense for the scope of the place. It's, it's pretty massive. And John says that a multitude of invalids rested in those porches. So you have to ask, what kind of place is this? Why is this scene happening? Well, it turns out it was a pretty well-known site. Not just uh, among Jewish folks, but among pagan folks too. In fact, at one point in the long history of this place, it had been dedicated to the Greek god of medicine. And that's a pointer to why people went there. It's a pointer to what they hoped for when they were there. It's a pointer to why Jesus showed up there. People thought that the water in those pools had healing properties of some kind. Healing shrines like this were not uncommon in the ancient world, and to be honest, they're not really that hard to find in our world either. You can just Google them and you'll find them. And one folk belief about this place, which has even made it into one of the later manuscripts of John's Gospel, was that an angel of the Lord would come and stir it up. And if you got into the water first, you'd be healed. At any rate, lots of people thought there was something special about that water. They hung their hopes for healing on it. And the truth of the matter was no real surprise. It was kind of a bust out. Didn't work that well. One man there, John says, had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, we don't know if he went there every day, but it's easy to imagine he spent a lot of his days there hanging out under the colonnades. John says that Jesus knew he had been there a long time, a long time, waiting for some magic water to do its thing. But Jesus saw him lying there, John says, and he knew that he had already been there a long time. And so here's what happens. Jesus walks up to him. Jesus approaches him. And this is always how it works, really. I mean, some of you, some of you are here this morning not because you went out looking for Jesus, but because he came looking for you, unbidden. And he surprised you. Maybe you're like this guy at the pool that day. You didn't even know who he was when he showed up. But that's how it works for people who grow up in the church too. People who are so deeply surrounded by the stories of Jesus that we know them like we know the backs of our own hands. The truth is we don't ever know him, not really, until he comes to us somehow. Until the story is not simply a story about Jesus meeting someone else, but until it becomes our story of meeting him. 
until the questions that he asks are not object lessons. They're not abstractions for some character or for someone else to answer, but questions that we have to answer for ourselves for real. Like the one that Jesus asked the man that day at the pool. Do you want to be healed? (laughs) Man, that question... That question, at first, it seems almost uh, comic, right? 38 years, give or take, lying around the magic waters. You tell me, man, don't you think I want to be healed? (laughs) Why would Jesus ask that question? And then you start to wonder if maybe there's something more going on. Like maybe Jesus knows something that we don't know about this guy. Like does he really want to be healed? Or has he come to conclude that his life made up of half measures and wish dreams about magic pools and in good intentions, that that's about as good as it's going to get, and that's fine. I think about that question a lot. Like, I made it here under the colonnades, haven't I? Can't you tell I want to be healed? And then I look right through Jesus to the thing I think is going to give me the healing that I'm looking for. We all have that stuff, church. We all do. And it is the beginning of hope. And it is the promise of healing to admit that that's true. Whatever it is, you know. Recognition among our peers. Or getting into a relationship that we really, really, really want to get into. Or a job that makes us feel happy, whatever that definition of happiness is for us. Maybe a professor that recognizes our hard, our hard work. I don't know what your things are exactly, the things that you're leaning into to make you whole. I've got my own list and all of those things, you know, they could be good things, but listen, they're not the end. <laughs> they are not the end. These things may indeed graciously end up being a part of our lives, but church, they are not life. And they might make us feel, they might have a little, a little role, a little place that they play in making us feel whole, but church, they are not healing itself. And thank God for that. Because if we treat them as the telos of life, if we treat them as the end, as the ultimate, then as soon as we get one of them and then they get taken away, it feels like the worst kind of sickness. And despair creeps in. But church, we're not made for that. We're not made for that sickness. We're not made for that despair. We are not made to be whole by the acquisition of things. We are not made to be whole by the experience of certain circumstances. Do you want to be healed? That's what Jesus asks you and me. And it's a question that is equally important for those of us who don't follow him in faith this morning and for those of us who've just started to follow him in faith and for those of us who have been at it a while, too. Break your gaze off from that pool and look at the one who's asking you the question. And this guy doesn't understand the question, which, of course, seems pretty much perfect. (laughs) He starts to go on and on about how he doesn't have anyone to get him into the pool and how whenever the water starts getting stirred up, he he can never make it there and there's no one to help him and someone gets in before he does and blah, 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 blah. 
And Jesus doesn't care that he has misunderstood the question, which also seems pretty much perfect. Get up, Jesus says. (laughs) Take up your bed and walk. And in an instant, he is healed, and he takes up his bed, and he begins to walk. And that is the healing ministry of Jesus, church. That is the healing ministry of Jesus. Then and now and forever, he restores things to what they were always meant to be. He doesn't break into the natural order of things with some strange foreign power. When Jesus heals, he breaks into the broken, fallen order of things, and he shows us what was always meant to be. The healings of Jesus are a sign of the kingdom of God, and they are at the very same time a promise that one day the kingdom of God will be all that anyone sees anywhere. Like we heard in that New Testament lesson, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Now that day, John writes, was the Sabbath. (laughs) We call that a plot twist. John backloads the drama into the story, which is beautiful. John says the Jews saw the man who was healed carrying his bed around, and they took issue with it. Now, it's important to understand that when John refers to the Jews in his gospel, he is usually using it in a very particular sense. John doesn't mean every Jewish person. Jesus was Jewish, for instance. So was the man who was healed. He was Jewish. When John uses that term, he means the religious authorities, and in particular, the ones who end up opposed to Jesus. Not every one of the authorities was opposed to Jesus. John tells us of some of their stories in his gospel, but these guys, these guys see a man carrying his bedroll around, and for them, it is a clear violation of the prohibition of work on the Sabbath. So they call him out on it. And this man, probably at least a little bit afraid, tells him it wasn't his idea. (laughs) He tells them that the man who healed him told him to do it. They want to get to the bottom of this, so they ask him who healed him, and he honestly doesn't know, and Jesus is already gone. And I think one of the most remarkable things about this turn of events is that that could have definitely been the end of the story. (laughs) Things could have just ended right there, and it would have been a pretty sweet ending, right? This amazing healing, and Jesus' opponents are foiled again. But Jesus obviously thinks there's something sweeter to be had here. Because he is the one who, for the second time that day, goes looking for the man he healed. Church, Jesus is the one who does not let this story end there. And this time he's in the temple courts. And he finds that man and Jesus comes up to him and says, See, you are well. And then I always imagine that Jesus kind of leans in So it's just the two of them. And he says, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now that's a tantalizingly mysterious statement. (laughs) I want to know what that's all about. I mean, later on in John's gospel, in the story of the man born blind in chapter 9, Jesus makes it clear that you can't always index suffering and trouble in a person's life to a particular sin. It doesn't work that way. You can't always do that. We all live in a fallen world. Nobody gets a smooth ride. 
in a place like this, but as mysterious as that statement was, as much as I would want to know uh, what Jesus was referring to, you can be sure it wasn't mysterious to that guy. Whatever it is that Jesus is talking about, whatever it is that he wanted that guy to stop doing, that guy knew. And it's beautiful. Because in the end, that means that this is an invitation to believe and to follow Jesus in faith. The healing that that man needed, the healing that any of us need is not only physical, our whole selves, our whole selves need healing every estrangement needs repair. Every wound needs mending. Because from him and through him and to him are all things. So like here, there's a couple other times in the Gospels where Jesus offers the forgiveness of sins and healing at the same time. And it's somewhat confounding and and surprising a little bit confusing to the people who hear it and see it, I think in part because they don't expect it from Jesus. I mean, he's a prophet from Galilee, right? What is he doing? (laughs) I mean, they know God could do that. They know that God would do that. Psalm 103, this beautiful song of blessing to God because precisely because he forgives iniquity and heals diseases. I mean, they knew God could do that and he would do that. But now Jesus is out here doing that. And I think that's part of the sweeter thing that Jesus is pressing for that day with the man that he healed, with the people who got really mad at him for doing it, and for you and me too. It's about who he really is. (laughs) Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working. I mean, most everyone in Jesus' day agreed that God's rest on the seventh day, that rest that we heard and read about in the Old Testament lesson, that rest was something more for us than it was for God because he didn't really need the rest. (laughs) Technically speaking, he didn't stop working either, did he? Babies were born on the Sabbath. Rain fell on the Sabbath. (laughs) The works of creation and preservation, they didn't get suspended on the Sabbath, and God took care of me, tends to his creation on the Sabbath, and that's okay. He can do as he pleases, and he will do as he pleases. Everyone knew that. But here, Jesus is claiming the same prerogative for himself. The Father's working, and I'm working. And church, that's only valid if the same consideration that applies to the Father applies to him, namely, that the universe is his, (laughs) that all things are his. And you can understand why hearing that would make people upset, but you know what else it does? It throws his love for people like you and me into the boldest relief possible. Because in his incarnation, Jesus laid down that consideration. He gave it up. At Jesus' cross, he he did not count that consideration as something to hold on to, something uh, to cling to. He didn't hold it as something to grasp. He set it aside in order to have us. 
so that through the power of his resurrection, he could forgive our sins and heal our diseases. And so he asks all of us again this morning, do you want to be healed? Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would cut through our jaded senses by your spirit and that you would help us to take our gaze off of all of those lesser things that we think are going to make us whole. Help us to break our gaze off from that pool and turn to the one who is asking us, do you want to be healed? Help us to follow him in faith. Help us to follow him in repentance for the first time, maybe this morning or for maybe the thousandth time. And Father, we are mindful that from and through and to you are all things, and so we pray for some of them now. We pray for a sudden weakening and a speedy end to that war that rages now between Israel and Hamas. We pray for comfort and peace for the families and the friends of those who have been killed on every side of this conflict. And Father, we pray for your people, for your church there in Israel, in Gaza, that they would be strengthened to extend love and care and aid, your love, your care, your aid to their neighbors, even in their own suffering and their own grief. We pray this in the name of the Good Shepherd, Jesus. Amen.